When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So great question. Um, we're actually exploring some, some other options. We, we want to buy uh, approximately 1,000 multifamily units in the next uh, three to five years. You know we love the triad. We love Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High Point Markets. Um, we we uh, last year, last summer, made a big splash in downtown Winston-Salem. We were fortunate to pick up a fantastic asset. It's 169 unit um, apartment complex called Hilltop House, which we're very, very uh, happy with. We in the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dream Catchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the great pleasure of having Garrett Bedrin on the podcast with me. Garrett, how are things, Garrett, how are things in New Jersey? I think you just merged my first name with my last name. I like that. It's a, it's a new good Twitter handle. Um, things in New Jersey are, are doing well. This is an interesting time period to, to, to be getting together with you. Sorry that I can't come down to Greensboro and give you a big bear hug, but, um, you know, uh, we're obviously going through unprecedented times and, and kind of working, uh, through them and, and touching base with our, our tenants every day and trying to understand what are their challenges. And, uh, you know, we own shopping centers in six States, um, in addition to, uh, a hair salon franchise. So just kind of getting up to speed who is forced to close, um, you know, how long do we think that's going to be and what's the financial impact uh, on, on their small business and, you know, uh, trying to see how, how we can help them get through this period. And of course, talking to our lenders as well and understanding how they're going to help us get, get through this uh, period. Now you're third generation in the real estate business. Is that right? Yeah. Um, uh, I know I look, I look so young for third generation and sometimes people joke that's the generation that screws it up. Um, we've been around 70 years. So my grandfather started the business uh, 1947, and he returned from World War II and uh, started up a very small uh, mom and pop kind of gift gift uh, store slash office supplies, and it was really focused on a lot of Hallmark cards and uh, pens, pencils, little things you have in your in your home office and your desk, or, or just small gifts. And my uh, my father and my uncle joined that business in 1969 and 1972 and really grew it into one of the largest privately owned office supply companies in the Northeast. So 
um, at the heyday, they, they had about six retail stores and um, major, major customers like M&M, Mars, and Merck, and um, the U.S. Fed in, in New York City bought from us. And so any, any midsize or big company, Jerome, that needed uh, paper, office supplies, uh, janitorial, coffee, we were extremely customer service oriented. Uh, we really made doing business easy. Instead of having five companies to buy from, you'd get one invoice from us. Uh, and we offered next day delivery. And you could always get the owners on the phone. So salespeople were supported by the owners of the company at all times. And it was a very, just really family run type business. I think we had close to 300 employees. Um, and that morphed around the late 90s. It became more evident that it would be hard to compete with Staples and Office Depot. And, you know, we started closing some of the retail stores. But we ended up getting approached as part of a, a larger acquisition. So a new company was, was born. Um, the old company was always called Allied, and they kept that Allied name. And so we did what's called a roll-up deal where new equity came in, new debt, and overnight became a much, much larger company. And we owned the real estate. And so you always hear stories about a small you know, shoe cobbler or um, you know, another type of small business owning the real estate. And that building ended up being worth X amount of dollars, which became their, their retirement. And it's no different than, than you know, with us, where the real estate that supported that company was very well positioned on the highway in northern New Jersey. And we were able to convert it to retail, which was a higher and better use. And that allowed us to refinance it and basically create new capital and go out and buy additional uh, properties. So we started focusing on shopping centers, Jerome. It's what we knew. We knew a lot of retailers. We understood retail, demand planning, inventory, and uh, you know that, that made sense. So we kind of started that journey around the year 2000. And since then, we've acquired uh, close to 2 million square feet in, uh, in six states. Whoa, 2 million square feet. So, but you didn't just like go to school and then come into the family business. You went and did some other pretty cool stuff before then. So tell me a little bit more about your story and then how you plug into building this 2 million square foot empire. Gotcha. So for me, Jerome, personally, I always thought it was important to you know, do my own thing separate from the family. Um, but I always wanted to kind of put down my roots and, and be part of a family business. So um, early on, I had a big, you know, fascination and love for professional sports, like a lot of young people do. And but I also had this, you know, love for business and small business. And so I was attracted to kind of the business behind sport. And I think a lot of people saw Jerry Maguire, or maybe the show Arliss on HBO. And, um, you know, that was kind of a big public push to there's a whole business behind sport. So I got involved. Um, I actually managed my high school basketball team. And I was fortunate to get a job with the New, New Jersey Nets. I was a ball boy. So I mopped up the floor and I worked in the locker room. Um, and part of that responsibility, um, I was introduced to people who had just worked at UMass. Uh, John Calipari was a famous coach and he had a number of people that left UMass and went to the New Jersey Nets. And they said to me, if you love the business of sport, you know, you should go to UMass and study sport management, which, you know, I had never heard of as something you could actually go to school for. So it turned out that I was able to get into that program. And uh, when I was at UMass, I managed the men's basketball team 
I traveled the country and managed the women's field hockey team. And I just really immersed myself into, you know, getting close with my professors who all worked in the industry and really had a, a love for, for learning and had a love for school. And, you know, when you find that passion and you really dedicate your effort to it, my grades went way up compared to what I had received in high school. Um, and so through that, I got an internship with the Pittsburgh Pirates, the baseball team. And so I actually gave up my last semester of hanging out with my friends in school and moved to Florida and spent about, uh, I think about five months down there running their spring training uh, marketing and operations and was involved in community service and kind of every hat you could imagine. I lived uh, just like a minor league baseball player would in, in what was called Pirate City, which is their, their facility. And when the major league players came down, we helped with everything for spring training. Um, that was a great experience. Uh, that, that was around um, just after 9-11. And uh, because of my success there, I was offered a job with the Golden State Warriors basketball team. And so I uh, picked up my suitcase and there I was off to California. I didn't really know anybody out there. I think I had actually one family member that, that lived out there. I had been to his wedding and so uh, felt a little bit comfortable with that and started my quest uh, selling season tickets to high net worth individuals and big companies. Um, I once did a deal, I remember with uh, Yahoo and um, Morgan Stanley for some courtside seats. That was very exciting. Uh, and, and that was a tough job because for three years that, you know, that team uh, had, had actually not made the playoffs for about 12 seasons. Whoa. So, uh, but a very passionate fan base and uh, made some fantastic friends who are still some of my closest friends today. And uh, it was a great, great experience out in the Bay Area. And then I felt like, okay, now I've kind of done my own thing for a little bit. Um, uh, the family had acquired a couple shopping centers, but we weren't focusing all of our efforts on it. And I basically uh, said to my family, I'm, I'm ready to come back and I think we should make this full time and let's kind of really focus on Southeast markets where there's clear, um, you know, drive and, and kind of movements of, of people and there's great universities and, and um, great, great uh, quality of life down in the South and, and let's look for assets in Atlanta and North Carolina, Virginia, et cetera. Uh, so, that was it. I came home. That was it. When we got started. Wow. So what was the biggest lesson that you took away from being in sports? Well, there's a, there's a few things I learned. I mean, first of all, when you work in sport, um, everybody wants your job. So I just want to be clear about that. It is not a sexy, you know, kind of uh, job where, I mean, well, let me back up. It's sexy from the standpoint of it looks like from the outside, it's very sexy. Everybody wants in, but it is a ton of grunt work and hard work and you're very replaceable. So thousands of people are applying for these jobs and you know, you don't make a ton of money in that job. So you don't really stay in it forever. Um, obviously the owners make a lot of money and the players, of course. Um, but kind of everybody else, um, is constantly shuffling around and you have to move to another team and, yada, yada, yada. So it's very long hours. It's exhausting. Uh, and the people that are lifers really are, are kind of lovers of the, of the sport. Um, but I took a, a number of things that I learned out there and apply them now very much on the sales side where in my, uh, in my hair salon franchise, which we'll talk about later, Salons by JC, 
we do something called a uh, pick your suite day where we, we bring everybody in and they get to kind of like pick the room that they're going to move into. And that directly comes from when I was with the Golden State Warriors, we would take deposits for season tickets. And then on one day, everybody would come to the arena and in order of your deposit, you'd pick your, your new seats. And so that translated perfectly when we opened up our hair salon business, we started taking you know, $100 deposits and uh, building up all this excitement. And then when the time was ready, people would come in in order and decide where they wanted to open up their salon. So I, I've absolutely used that uh, effectively. Wow. That seems like it would build the excitement to like a, a crazy level. And then it also, you know, that first come first serve mentality allows you to get people to actually engage that fear of missing out. And so that, that's really cool. Yeah. We call it sense of urgency, Jerome. You always have to be creating a sense of urgency in business. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just how it is. And if you take your foot off the gas, you get complacent. Um, so we always make sure that we're creating a sense of urgency. So tell me more about that because a lot of people don't enjoy pressure. And I think you're one in particular who, you know, if somebody's pushing you or rushing you into something, you slow it down. So how does high pressure sales, sense of urgency and allowing people to be comfortable play into the way that you guys run your business today and make, you know, long range business decisions? Because, you know, you buy two million square feet of commercial space or retail space, it's going to be a while to get out of that. And so these are, you know, big time commitments. So you have to remember, I mean, we have probably over 300 tenants. And so, you know, we're working with great brokers around the country. And what, what we always try to do is, um, first of all, when it comes to a small business owner, you don't want to push and pressure so hard because if that person really can't afford to pay the rent, even though I think it's worth $25 a square foot, if they really can't pay you that, you're just fooling yourself, Jerome, because you're going to get in six months, they're not going to, either they're going to run away in the middle of the night or you're going to have a major problem. So, you know, you, you can never fool yourself. You have to always be honest with yourself and never lie to yourself. We always try to work with our partners, our tenants. You know, we have a line. We, call, um, we treat our tenants like our customers because we kind of look at them and say, nobody really cares about my family in terms of visiting my shopping centers. Like, Jerome, if you come to one of my shopping centers in Greensboro, I know you've been there before. I'm not right. sure which, you know, where, where you enjoy shopping these days. Um, but you're not going there because you're like, oh, man, Garrett's a great guy, and I really want to go to Garrett's shopping center. You're going there because – you know, TJ Maxx has a great offer on the boots that you want to buy, or, you know, the barber is doing a really good um, promotion right now for you, or there's an awesome bakery, you know, a restaurant, you love their cake. Yeah. Um, you know, you so we understand that people come to our shopping centers, Jerome, because they love uh, the experience they receive, or the product they receive from our tenant partners. So we want to make sure that they are healthy at all times. So we may help somebody the first few months, maybe it's a, a half rent program and we kind of ramp them up because we recognize if we push too hard, they're going to be out of business quick. We look at every relationship for the long term, And so every deal we look at, it's not about how much money does it make this month or next month. It's about what's the lifetime value of the relationship and what would it cost us to replace that relationship. And so can we help them with a little bit of a ramp up period in the beginning 
because we're comparing that to what it would cost to replace them down the road. Um, so I make sure that we're very quick in how we get back to people. They hear from us very fast. And if we do make a, a letter of intent with somebody, within 24 hours, I personally send out the lease draft. It's very important to me. I don't let, you know, there's a famous motto, time kills deals, and it's very, very true. So we show our, our tenant partners that we care and respect about their time as well, and we send them the lease right away so they know that we're serious about moving this deal forward just like they are. Yeah, that's really cool. So you come in, come back from California, back to Jersey, and you enter into the family business. Do you know what your role and responsibilities are going to be on day one? Or what happens? Because, I mean, there's a that happened somewhere along the way, too. So there's a whole lot there. Um, so when I came back, it was my uncle and my father at that time. My cousin was doing something else in the real estate business. And, you know, we kind of collectively talked about we need to build, you know, a larger portfolio. We need to have more scale. When you have more scale in anything in life, um, it, it's, you know, it's going to get economies of scale. It's going to be easier, right? So the, the, the vendors, the brokers, et cetera, we can share these, these costs. So I think it was kind of a natural fit, Jerome, that acquisitions is where I would fit um, because it got me out there meeting people, you know, using sales techniques, following up with people, building relationships. And so, you know, it meant going to a lot of conferences, especially with the ICSC. And, you know, Las Vegas and Atlanta and New York and letting people know, hey, we're interested in buying properties. This is the type of property we look for. This is our family background. You know, we used to be retailers, which is kind of a cool niche. It's really, you know, if you looked up all the REITs and all the shopping center owners, how many of them actually were retailers? Um, this is probably a pretty small number. Um, so I think it was a natural fit that acquisitions would be the way to go. Now, over time... My, my role, you know, I mean, I'm a partner in the firm now. So, you know, my role has, has grown. I, I also oversee a lot of leasing stuff and I oversee our investor relations and, you know, um, building those relationships with joint venture partners and uh, new different, you know, investors as well kind of naturally falls into my boat, you know, right now. Yeah. What's up, guys? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know the dream catchers looks to work with technical professionals in the areas of self-image, relationship, career, prosperity, health, and significance. If you're looking to make great strides in any one of those areas, please reach out to us at our website, dreamshouldbereal.com, to get more information on our services, and we look forward to connecting with you soon. Yeah, I thought that's really cool. Initially, I was like, hey, you went from selling to buying, right? You know, you, you're doing season ticket sales. Now you're buying stuff. and But you characterize it as using sales techniques. So tell me a little bit more about why you see your role as a sales role. Well, first of all, sales is the lifeblood of any institution, right? So I want to be very clear. Business does not occur without sales. If you're not in sales, then you're a nonprofit. And that's fine. That's okay. I'm involved with nonprofits too. And, and I love them. They're fantastic. But if there's no sales, uh, then there's no entity. There's no business. So that's the lifeblood uh, of, of an organization. And obviously, cash and cash flow is, is really king. You know, a lot of people brag about 
IRRs and how much they're making and this and that. But at some point, you know, they may have a tough month or two, like we're going through now. Can they pay their bills? And, um, you know, you can rest assured our, our vendors and our, our lenders know that we will pay our bills. So from, from the sales side, it's, it's really about establishing relationships. It's about making it feel human. It's about letting people know that when our family um, signs a contract and, you know, we're going to go through the due diligence process, they know that we're going to complete that. And obviously, if there's a major issue, we're going to bring it to you and, hey, your, roof's, your roof is falling apart. Here's the cost of the new roof. We got to work this out. But we've established a reputation. We don't retrade people um, just for fun. We don't, we don't retrade people just because we have the leverage and we now have the contract. Um, that's not how we do business. When we say we're going to do something, we do it. And I think that means a lot. I think reputation means a lot to people. Um, so I would say, you know, always being open, transparent, um, following up like crazy. You know, these days everyone's distracted. So, you know, I'm going to call, email, LinkedIn, Instagram, you know, I'm going to hit you five, six ways. And it's like, you have to kind of tickle. You just got to kind of tickle the other person, you know, don't forget. So, you know, the squeaky, the squeaky uh, wheel definitely gets the oil drill. Wow. Okay. And so what are you guys most focused on now from a, a growth perspective? Is it more commercial or are you exploring other options? So great question. Um, we're actually exploring some, some other options. We, we want to buy uh, approximately a thousand multifamily units in the next uh, three to five years. You know, we love the triad. We love Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High Point markets. Um, we, we uh, last year, last summer, made a big splash in downtown Winston-Salem. We were fortunate to pick up a fantastic asset. It's a 169-unit um, apartment complex called Hilltop House, which we're very, very uh, happy with. We have gone in there and created a fantastic sense of community. We're doing events. We're doing food trucks, wine tastings. Um, we've, we've upgraded the, uh, the pool area, the barbecue area. We installed a great uh, doggy park with natural, you know, that, that uh, astroturf and people are getting together with their dogs. And we're looking for um, assets like that that are similar, kind of this class B, you know, workforce housing um, type where, where you have such important people in our community, nurses and medical technicians and police officers, teachers that are living in these communities. We, we want to come in there and, you know, really give them a better sense of community within, within the uh, complex. So we, um, we're absolutely looking to, to grow multifamily. It's not easy because, as you know, um, investors are paying huge dollar amounts for multifamily. You know, Charlotte, Raleigh, Atlanta, um, just the cap rates are, you know, four and a half, five caps, and that's putting pressure on Greensboro and Winston-Salem, and some people are now coming in here and spending a lot of money there was a recent transaction downtown Winston-Salem uh, for $229,000 a door mm-hmm. and a beautiful brand new class A uh, facility right down the street from me. And, um, you know, we absolutely love that complex. But when we looked at the numbers, it just didn't hit anywhere near the type of returns that would be commensurate with, with our experience. So we're actually looking at some of our retail shopping centers. This is kind of cool. We're looking at some of our parking lots and saying, you know, were these designed during an era where parking ratios are too high? So grocery stores had 
a 5.0 parking ratio. And, you know, if there's no longer a grocery store there, is that really necessary? So th there's one or two deals we're looking at right now where we're saying, can we either demolish a small area of the retail or is there an area in the parking lot that we can put up 150, 200, 300 units and create a mixed use project? And Jerome, the reason why we think that's really interesting is because the existing retail becomes a built-in amenity. So if I have a Trader Joe's or I have a gym or I have a great coffee shop in the, in the parking lot, that ultimately is something that young professionals um, or retirees want to be able to walk to. So we feel we have an advantage over just a regular apartment complex that, you know, has a small little gym or club room. You know, we have uh, McDonald's or we have a great bakery, wherever it may be. You know, we have Starbucks so, or Krispy Kreme. So that's very much um, something we're working on. Um, we're also working on a big mixed-use ground-up project in, in New Jersey, um, which I'm hoping I can talk more about in the next month or two uh, and show you some photos and all that good stuff. So that's important to us. Yeah, it's interesting. Your approach to kind of adding multifamily to an existing shopping center is new to me. What I've seen other folks do is take a big box store and turn it into storage, right? And so you got the drive-in storage and I know you've got one building in particular here in Greensboro that was probably would probably be a good fit for that if you don't do the multifamily approach. So um, it's amazing what brainstorming happens when you start talking about stuff like this. And, you know, I, I think it's like, when, at one point during one of our many conversations over the past couple of months, you mentioned generational wealth and the importance of creating that or growing that for you. Um, you said you're third generation. It's usually the generation that messes it up. But I see you aggressively trying to break that stereotype and be somebody that furthers and even helps scale the organization. And so what does generational wealth mean to you? And what is it? what are you trying to do to make sure that your daughters get to benefit of that experience? Yeah, it's a great, great question. You know, a lot of, a lot of people get into a business and look for, you know, home runs right away. Um, and they take chances and, and they stretch their underwriting. Uh, our, our family has always been, um, what I say, conservatively aggressive, meaning when it's time for us to pounce and step up, you know, we are pragmatic, we make quick decisions and we go. But during normal kind of normal times, we are conservative. We don't we don't overly stretch. We don't overly uh, rush. You know, we're not trying to take out ninety percent leverage with a mez piece, and you know, it's the you know the last dollar I have. Um, we're happy to raise a little more equity. I mean, we ended up raising a little bit more equity on the apartment deal that I mentioned because we had to put some money aside for the green program to upgrade some of the washer and dryers. And, um, you know, it kind of drove the overall return down, um, but we got a much better loan. So I could have raised less equity, which would have taken a little bit less effort. Uh, and I, you know, I would have personally owned a bigger piece of it, of the deal, but it would have been with a shorter term mortgage where I would have been under more pressure. So, you know, why would I pay 8% and be under kind of a bridge loan when I can pay, you know, 4%? and be under a healthy loan, it ended up working out great because the loan locked at 3.76, which is, you know, fantastic. I have that now for, 
the next nine or 10 years um, instead of having to be under pressure. Um, so, so we're conservative in nature. So generational wealth means, you know, pay down your debt appropriately, but understand debt at three, four or 5% is extremely valuable because we can go out and make eight, nine, 10, 12, 15, hopefully 20% returns. So it's not just go pay off all your debt. That, that's not what I'm saying. It's being responsible. And so instead of selling something, you know, let's say you sold an asset and you made a million dollars profit, that's a ton of money to you and I in our pocket. But if you had to cut a check for 500,000 to the government for taxes, you know, you could have rolled that into a 1031 transaction and bought another asset, or you could have refinanced the property and started your debt again and paid down your debt again. So, you know, understanding time value of money, understanding that, you know, those who play the long game uh, tend to win because if you own an asset, let me talk about generational wealth. If you own a building and now you've owned it 30, 40, 50 years, right? And you've paid down your debt. Well, guess what? The rents in the market are $30, but now you go through what we're going through, you know, with this pandemic and maybe the rents for six months drop to, you know, 25. Well, the guys and gals that have the high leverage, you know, they may be forced to take a deal that they don't want to take. You could sit there and say, you know what? I have very low leverage. I'll wait it out. Or I will take a lower price deal, but I'm going to get Dollar Tree credit or, you know, TJ Maxx credit. And that's important to me. So it gives you that flexibility to um, be able to, to play a little bit of offense and a little bit of defense. So that's, that's critical. You want to hold on to those assets for a long time. There's a lot of benefits of holding on to your assets between depreciation, 1031 transactions, and refinances. So I, that's awesome. I, uh, I was thinking as you were going through this, because you, you speak with so much depth. Um, I think I'd be cheating the listeners if I didn't ask, how do you, how'd you move into multifamily? Did you go get some education? Did you partner with somebody that understood the asset class? Like, how'd you know that, you know, buying this 169 unit deal was a solid play? <laughs> I'm going to tell you everything's a solid play. So how, how did you know what you were doing basically? So fair question. Um, First of all, my dad and uncle have been in multifamily for decades, just not in this realm of kind of the new business that, that you know, we've been in the past 20 years. Um, when they were little, when they were younger, their father and grandfather had apartments and they would go around and collect the rent and they would spend time learning the business. So I don't want you to think we didn't know anything about it. It's definitely not true. Um, it just hadn't been something we had focused on in a, in a, you know, a while. First of all, it's much easier to adjust to a different platform in real estate than it is to a new market. So what do I mean by that? To jump from retail to industrial or retail to multifamily or office to medical office is much easier than it is to go from buying in Winston-Salem, North Carolina to go to buying in Atlanta, Georgia or in Los Angeles, California. The market is much, much, much harder to break into because it's controlled by you know, certain buyers and sellers, certain brokers, there's certain vendors, their pricing may be, you know, they may be ripping you off, they may not put you on the top of their list. Um, and there's also a lot of government uh, red tape you don't know about, right? In terms of understanding the, the tenant and landlord relationships, lots of laws in, in those 
areas? How long does it take to get entitlements done? So jumping into new markets is very tough. In fact, we're in six states, but we're not really active in six states. We're, we're only really active in, in two markets. The, the triad market where, where you are, um, although you may be in Virginia today, I forget where you are all the time. Um, and, and of course our backyard in, in Northern New Jersey, because it's so hard to keep relationships in a lot of markets. Um, so when we looked at multifamily, we said to ourselves, all right, is this harder or easier than retail? And we said, it's, you know, we think it's going to be easier because retail is detail, meaning every lease has a hundred different things in there that, you know, Ross Dress for Less has this language that, um, you know, the swim school doesn't have. Or if, if Ross Dress for Less uh, closes for 30 days, you know, because of the pandemic, these next five things happen. So it's just extremely difficult to stay on top of all that. And so with multifamily, you've got 169 uh, apartments and leases that are kind of all a stock, the same lease. So that makes your life a lot easier. And we, we felt that the vendors that do our roofs and our plumbing systems and our air conditioning systems, that those vendors still apply in multifamily, right? Whether it's cleaning up the landscaping on the outside or fixing a electrical repair, it's the same uh, thing, whether it's in an apartment or it's a retail store. So we already had a great set of vendors in place. We also had a great management team that helps us down there in that area. And th their building is literally located next door to this project. So we felt, <clears throat> we felt extremely comfortable getting into this project. And the location, Jerome, it's downtown Winston-Salem, where they've added about 4,000 apartment units um, over the past, what, five to 10 years. This area is just growing, and we know long-term where we compare to the uh, more expensive units, the, the difference between our rent and their rent is not as much as you would think, but that $229,000 is a lot more per unit than I paid at $100,000 a unit, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so we knew we could go in there and create the sense of community, and we knew that we could put our touch on it. So you know, bring in a social media team, make sure we're doing more events, make sure the common spaces are cleaned up a little bit better, lighting, things like that, you know, fresh paint. Those are, those are tricks that we do all day long, and, and we felt that apply. Wow. Wow. Okay. So I guess in wrapping it up, what is the gift that you're giving the world? <laughs> You know, I, I think when I was in middle school, I won like most talkative or something like that in the yearbook, right? You know, or most likely to have a talk show. Um, you know, we look, we love to give back. Um, there's a lot that we can learn from the community and there's a lot that we want to do for our community. Um, as part of our Salons by JC brand, we open up our doors every month and we bring in a uh, cancer survivor. We do a big surprise red carpet makeover where she gets her hair done, her nails done, all, all new wardrobe, take her out to lunch, celebrate with the family. Um, and we try to raise money for this wonderful organization. It's called Hello Gorgeous. They're our partners in the, this program. And so we do a big festival in Greensboro. So there's a number of giving back things that we've done. We're actually starting a GoFundMe account right now to help raise a little bit of money for tenants that are affected by COVID-19 in the triad. So I know there's a lot of single moms that are concerned about literally paying for groceries 
or for diapers and important things for their homes. So we're trying to raise some funds for those folks right now and, and spread that out. Um, but, you know, on the other side, we also want to really just be open to meeting new people, sharing what we've learned. There's so much we can do in the triad in terms of um, investments and for the community. And so we don't think we can do it all by ourselves. And, you know, that's how we've worked, tried to work with folks like you. We've talked with other bigger companies and said, you know, what are you guys working on? We may have an interest in being a part of it. And if that can help you get your deals across the finish line, we're interested in knowing what other people are working on. We want to keep growing in that market. Um, so that's what we can offer the community. And um, hopefully in, in times of challenge, people will look at us as leaders in the community. Um, we're always smiling. We're always positive. We're very optimistic. Uh, we understand that there's challenges, but we understand that uh, together we can get through them and come out stronger on the other side. I appreciate what you just offered, and it, it took me down a path, and hopefully you don't mind me asking this question, and if you do, I'll <laughs> put it out. But a lot of people think you got to have this huge team in order to take on and manage and run things. Um, you talked about GoFundMe, social media, running a $2 million commercial or retail business, buying apartments. Do you have to have a hundred people to do that type of business or can you run that with a lean, much leaner team? Oh, it's a great question, Jerome. You just got to wake up earlier. That's what the answer is. And I know the reason I loved you, Jerome, is because you said, let's get on the phone. I'm, I'll be available at five in the morning. You know, remember? Yeah. Yeah. Right? We had a call. I was sitting outside Orange Theory and we had a call at, I don't know, 5.30 in the morning or something. Right. Um, because, you know, I like to get up early and I like to start my day with an accomplishment um, and get going, you know, and that's the attitude you have to have. So you have to work smarter um, and not, not harder. And so, you know, we have, a, we have a small team in New Jersey. You know, we have a team of six or seven people in New Jersey. And we also work with, obviously, great people around the country um, who help and support us. And so, no, you know, to get to 2 million square feet, to get to 100 apartments or 1,000 apartments, you don't need 100 people. I don't know whoever came up with that, but uh, we've been doing it successfully on a much leaner uh, program. Now, as you grow, you must know how to scale. So, you know, for every 10 to 20 properties, you know, you need a good asset manager um, uh, who can kind of help oversee the property managers. And so if I were to add 10 or 20 more shopping centers in two years, I'm going to add a couple more people. Absolutely. But you do it and you grow as needed because again, cash is king and it would be silly to go out and hire 10 people. Um, you know, if you owned one deal, doesn't make sense. That's awesome. Um, and so the final question is what, what is the one thing you want folks to take away from this conversation? If, if they blanked out for the other however many minutes that we've been talking, what is the one message you want them to get? So if this is my final question, I guess this is the final answer. It's like from who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah. Um, well, look, I want people to understand that you have to work hard in life but you also have to be lucky. Uh, where, where we have shined is because we've created our own luck. And I, I want people to understand that that can change 
on a dime, both ways, right? So it means never take for granted what you have. Um, as third generation family members, Michael and I could easily sit back and you know, collect checks and, and do that type of thing. But we've taken the attitude that there's a lot we can still grow and do. We're young, right? And, and, and we are, we're ambitious. So I hope we, that that sends a message that, you know, it's okay to come from a great family and it's okay to, you know, you shouldn't be ashamed that, you know, you, you, you have certain um, advantages in life, but you should take that and say, what can I do better for my community? And how can I keep making sure that the future generations of my family are, are well taken care of? So, um, but you have to put your position, I'm sorry, you have to put yourself in a position every day to make your own luck. So that means constantly networking. <clears throat> I'm constantly connecting with people on LinkedIn. You know, how can I help you? You know, is there anything I can do of value for you? Even if it means not, it, it, it's got to be genuine, like nothing in return. Um, because, you know, I don't know what I do for one person. It may be two years later, I need a favor. And that person is, you know, going to step up and they're, they're well connected in getting masks for COVID-19, right? So, you know, you, you have no idea what that person has to offer long term. I look at every person as an opportunity to be friends with their thousand friends, right? Or 5,000 friends. And, you know, I know you operate the same way, you know, and you go in with no preconditions and, you know, give first. I feel much better about myself when I give. Um, and, you know, I really feel that things start to come together nicely. Um, you know, we do a lot of email campaigns and social media and people reach out to me all the time and say, oh, I love what you wrote about. That's a great blog. And I may not even re remember that person from a year or two ago, but it, you know, they remember me and now it turns out that it's another uh, lender to talk to again or another title company to talk to. Um, and they're, you know, they're very strong in something that I now need help in. So um, that, that would be my, my final answer, Jerome. Create your own luck. I love it. I think I told you that and I've never heard you say it before. So this is awesome. So yeah, made it to this part of the podcast you love with Garrett and I discussed and I want you to do me a favor, uh, share with somebody, give us a like, a written review, and people find the opportunity. Garrett, I really appreciate you being so generous with your time and sharing some of, of your wisdom. I look forward to connecting with you next time you're in market or when I get those random phone calls like I got you. Man, I'll talk to you soon. Anytime. I'm always here for you, all right? Thanks. Bye. Talk to you later. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.